Hey, uh, you know, this last week, I had something weird happen. It really wasn't that weird, but it was, hadn't happened in a while. We hung out with two separate couples whom we love, whom we're just starting to get to know. And through the course of that conversation, you know this when you're hanging out, if you've hung out with couples for a while, a certain question always comes up. It's like the question you ask to get to know them. And it's really the only question I know to ask, you know, because I'm not a great question asker. Uh, but they asked us in two separate times, and it's just kind of weird this week, you know, how did you guys, you know, get to know one another? I mean, that's the question you ask. And here's what I thought was so funny or interesting about it. For both my wife and I, we don't tell about our wedding day. You know, we don't talk about that day, and that's like the biggest day. That's the day, you know, probably for those of us married, the most money we've ever spent on our relationship was on that one day, you know. Uh, and since then, you're like, okay, I'm good. I invested. Um, but, okay, maybe not. But, 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 but. but. But we, we always tell the story, and sometimes you tell it a little differently, but there's one part of what I'd call the backstory of how we got to know one another that we always tell. Both Jen and I tell this one part of the story. And, and she and I met, uh, what was it, her and I, there you go, uh, met, uh, you know, over the summer, over some fried rice, pineapple fried rice, but I didn't have a chance to really get to know her that summer. We both went to college. She was in Cal Poly. I was at uh, Chicago and uh, at a school there. And yet, so I came home for Christmas break. As you can tell, I'm going to tell you that part of the story if you didn't catch on. We come home for Christmas break, and I decided I'm going to make sure that I take advantage of this opportunity. I have a limited window of time to get to hang out with what I believe is the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet, and I just was like spellbound by her. And so she worked at this coffee shop in Scotts Valley. I lived in SoCal, and I remember waking up at like, you know, 19, 20 years of age, and and getting up at like 6 a.m., which is like, there that is not a good time when you're in college, you know? Uh, drove 20 minutes out of my way to a coffee shop to see this girl. Now, depending on who does this, that could be creepy, you know? Some guy follows you to your work. That's like a Dateline special right there. But thankfully, it didn't work out that way. So I show up. She was actually late to work, uh, and so I was there before her at her own work. (laughs) We hang out uh, there, you know, and I was like, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to, like, get my foot in the door so you can tell how suave and smooth I am. I I asked her, I said, um, do you want to go Christmas shopping? (laughs) That's all I got, guys. And for those that are relationally struggling, here's what you need to know. You don't need much. Just, just, just ask what, what you got. It might work, might not work for me, might work for you. Uh, anyways, and so I draw her a, uh, a map on a napkin to my house because we didn't have MapQuest, you know, we didn't have Google, we didn't have phones, and we had napkins, that's what we had. And, and, and so she comes to my house, we go out Christmas shopping, because that's an amazing first date, by the way, right? Uh, and then we go to coffee, I hated coffee back then, didn't tell her that, I'm like, oh, this is amazing, yeah, I love coffee, absolutely, you know? <laughs> 
We go walk along West Cliff, hang out, you know, look at the stars, and then it comes for the time for us to say goodbye. Now, this is where our story differs. You know, her memory and her recollection of it and mine are, are vastly different at this point. And, and, yet, uh, and yet, we can. I asked her, I'm like, is it okay if I share this? And she said, yes, that's okay. I said, okay. And so we get done. We're about to say goodbye. We get out of the car. We hug. And, and what, for me, felt like one glorious, glorious, long, extended hug that went on for ages. That she, I, I just took it as a sign she never wanted to let go of me. <laughs> she denies that it was an extra long hug, but, but what it did was it, it gave me a moment of courage to, to be able to ask, you know, and take advantage of, you know, that moment and say, you know, so I, uh, I wanted to, you know, date her. And so with all my eloquence, with poetic, you know, verses ready to spill from my mouth, I uttered these words in this glorious long hug as we're standing in my driveway. So, want a date? <laughs> that's it. Again, that's all I got. And of course, she said, she said no. <laughs> she said no, crushed me. The next day, she said yes. She said yes. I, you know, isn't it amazing how one bold move has the power to alter the outcome of our lives? Just simply one bold move. I had no idea what hung in the balance that night. Fifteen years later, three amazing kids later, 12 years of marriage. I get to be married uh, to, like, the most amazing woman on the face of the planet and my best friend. I had no idea. And our story always goes back to that one story, no matter how we tell the story of how we met, that one fateful night 15 years ago. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how one bold move, one courageous step has the power to alter the outcome of our very lives. Now, we gather this morning, and for some, you're wondering, what is the big deal about Easter? And every time I come, I hear the same message. Is that all you guys talk about? And let me tell you real quick why Easter is such a big deal for us. Everything for us who believe, uh, or Christians, everything hinges Everything centers not on a sacred text, not on a good man or moral teaching. Everything hinges on a single historical moment, the resurrection of Jesus. It, that's it. And here's the beautiful part. If you're investigating, I, I was talking to a friend and I was asking him about, you know, uh, we we're just talking and spirituality came up. I realized I wasn't asking him. He brought it up. And he told me he's so spiritual and he's tried all these different things from Buddhism to Christianity to Judaism to martial arts. And I'm like, come again, martial arts? And, and then he explained it. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Here's the beautiful part. If you're investigating Christianity that claims of Christ, you don't have to wade through a ton of stuff. You just have to look at a single historical event and evaluate the evidence. 
Because if this event, if why we gather this morning did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, even our own writers in the Bible would claim, the Apostle Paul said this, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But if the resurrection actually happened, if today we celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago, that Christ came back to life, then it validates all that Jesus said and did, and that he isn't just a good man, but he is the God-man. That's why Easter is such a big deal for us, because all of Christianity hinges on this historical event. This morning, I want to share with you maybe the backstory of Easter. The part of the story that if we didn't have this part of the story, we actually most likely wouldn't be celebrating Easter. It's not the wedding, it's the backstory. It's, the, it's this part of the story that, that you always retell, but I think a lot of us may have missed it. And thanks to one person's bold move, Christians have the confirmation that Jesus not only actually died, but actually rose from the dead. Thanks to one person's really bold move, we now are able to historically look back at the facts and examine the evidence. And without this bold move, we wouldn't be here sitting and celebrating Easter. In fact, without this bold move, there would be no tomb. We celebrate this morning, he is risen. The tomb is what? Help me out. Come. Empty. Without this person, there would be no tomb. In fact, without this person and his bold move and his step, courageous step of courage, Jesus, Jesus would have been thrown into a mass grave in the Valley of Gehenna. Now, the Valley of Gehenna was this uh, valley just outside of Jerusalem, the city, and it was a place for a mass grave for the execution of the Roman uh, government, uh, and then also it was just a trash heap uh, for the people of the city. And what would happen is during a crucifixion, Rome would deny the rights uh, of family members to retrieve the body of their loved ones. In fact, oftentimes they would leave the bodies up as a sign of Roman, uh, you know, dominance. And they'd let the bodies rot and be eaten by vultures and crows. I hope we don't have kids in here. I'm sorry. It's a little graphic. Um, and let them rot, and then a few days later, pry the body off the cross, throw it in a, in a barrel, wheelbarrow of sorts, and take, it, take the bodies down to the valley and dump them out. That was the fate of Jesus who hung on the cross. And without this bold move of this unlikely hero, we would not be gathered here, and the early Christians would not have the confirmation that Jesus died and actually rose from the the grave. And all we would have is some people who claim they saw Jesus, but no way to back up their claim. 
uh, we pick up the story in Mark uh, chapter 15, and he gives us a little bit of the context here, and he says it was preparation day, that is uh, the day before Sabbath, and Sabbath in Judaism is a day of rest, and actually starts not on Saturday morning for our timekeeping, but it actually starts Friday evening when sundown occurs, and we know from history's sake that Jesus was crucified early uh, Friday morning. He was whipped, beaten, led to the cross, and he died around 3 p.m. Sabbath starts around 6 p.m. He continues on. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, now, this is the first time we hear of Joseph in the New Testament. And, and the reason why is he's a part of this powerful and wealthy group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was uh, this group of 71 prominent men in Israel who uh, acted much like, um, uh, you, you know, uh, what was it called? Uh, hang on. The Supreme Court. There you go. That's what it is. Thank you very much. So you got these 71 men who act a whole lot like the Supreme Court for Israel. They're powerful. They're prominent. Now, the Sanhedrin are the guys who arrested Jesus. The Sanhedrin are the guys who in the middle of the night tried Jesus. And the Sanhedrin are the same group of men that took Jesus to Pilate and handed him over to be crucified. And Joseph is a part of this group. And there was a little subset, small minority within the Sanhedrin that, that they were called secret followers of Jesus. They began to follow Jesus, but were so afraid and so fearful of what the rest of their group would say that they followed him in secret and really were silent. There's another guy, Nicodemus as well, that we know of that was a part of this secret followership of Jesus. And just imagine, it's all, you know, he sat through the trials. He watched everything take place, and he was silent the whole time. And now, in Jesus' death, he finally stands up. And it says, I love it, it says, a prominent member went boldly. He says, you know, I was silent in Jesus' trial, but I will stand up and give him a proper burial. That though I didn't stand up for him when he was alive, I'll make sure that when he's buried, he'll have the bury, uh, burial of a king. It goes on to say, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that this was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Now, here's what's so great about this. I love this. One, one Rome, you just need to know, were experts in torture. And they made killing an art form. I mean, they, they loved and were very good at this. And here's what I think is so amazing. It wasn't Jesus' followers who, who like, you know, identified and said Jesus is dead. It was the highest Roman official in the land of Jerusalem there that certified Jesus' death. And so Joseph brought, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where it was laid. And so Joseph 
getting approval from the Roman uh, government, then goes, and, and actually other texts tell us Nicodemus was with him, prepared Jesus' body for burial. And what they would do is they would wash his body, and they had to work quickly because it's almost Sabbath time, and they aren't allowed to do any work during that time. So they work quickly, wash his body, and, and if you weren't dead before this burial process, you certainly would be dead after. They would take about 75 to 100 pounds of spices and, and linen and really literally mummify you head to toe. They do this, roll the stone over uh, the grave, and now think about this. This isn't just anyone's grave. This is a brand new grave of one of the wealthiest, prominent men in Israel. He has influence and affluence all where he is at. This is a known place. And so instead of Jesus being hung on a cross, left to rot and thrown into the valley of Gehenna, now he is in a tomb where everyone knows. In fact, the religious leaders go to the extent of making sure that nothing happens, that they seal the tomb and set up guards there. And in this one bold move where he moved and alienated himself from the wealthy elite and identified himself with a crucified criminal, Joseph did something that, that allowed us as followers of Jesus to point back and look back uh, in history's time and be able to go, not only did Jesus actually die, but he actually rose from the dead because we have a tomb. Think about this. Think about it. Come on. Just for a second. Would you just stay with me? Christianity didn't begin in some obscure spot away from Jerusalem. Christianity and the followers of Jesus, who, by the way, no one thought he was coming back to life. They ran and hid and deserted Jesus the only people who were around him were uh, Mary and, and other women. And, he, and you know why the women went, by the way? You, you catch that? Because they didn't believe a man could really do it right, so they had to go back and fix it, you know? <laughs> and I, I get that all the time. I'm like, okay. But that, that's why they came, because you see, Easter Sunday morning, they show up with another 75 pounds to 100 pounds of spices and myrrh uh, and to come and to properly do what, of course, those men couldn't do right. And they find the tomb empty, empty, and Christianity began and started in the city where Jesus was crucified. Christianity started and began in the place where the religious leaders who sent him on trial and the Roman officials who crucified him could easily squash and all the eyewitnesses were there. And that is the spot and the place where people said, he is not dead, but he is alive. And little did Joe know, little did Joe know that his bold move would actually fulfill a, a very perplexing prophecy because uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there was this, uh, these prophecies about the Messiah, this coming one who would restore relationship between man and God, who would bring peace and hope and life. There was all these prophecies about this Messiah. 
And, and there was this one that was pretty perplexing. There's a few, but this one especially. It, it says this, uh, and the prophet Isaiah wrote this, he was given a grave with those who were evil, but his body was buried in the tomb of a rich man. Little did Joe know that his bold move would fulfill such a perplexing prophecy that you go, how could that operate? That Jesus being set to be crucified and then given a mass grave was then buried as a king. And little did Joe know that his action would give confirmation to the early Christians that Jesus actually died and actually rose again. And little did Joe know that because of his bold move today, you don't have to throw your brains in the trash to really follow Jesus. In fact, in fact, all you have to do is, is study the historicity behind the resurrection. Look at the facts. Examine it for yourself and come up with the most logical conclusion. In a single, bold move, Joe did what he didn't know he could do. He didn't know that he was going to play such a significant part in what we celebrate today, 2,000 years, because all of Christianity hinges on a single historical event. It's the resurrection. And if it's true, if it's true, if he did really come back to life, if Jesus is not just a fictionary concept, but he is alive and reigning, then all that he said is true. And all that was said about him is true. In fact, the prophet Isaiah would go on to write this about this Messiah, about why he came and what he came to do. This is why we celebrate, why Easter and resurrection is such a big, big deal to us. The prophet Isaiah says this about the Messiah. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgression is, it simply means the willful choice to do wrong, the willful choice to hurt, to bring pain. The times where we've intentionally done wrong or brought pain or hurt to others or ourselves. and says that Jesus on the cross was pierced for our transgressions, the things that we've willfully done wrong. And then it says, he was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquity is just simply our natural bent away from God. And we all know that. We all have this natural bent away that pulls us away from God and the things of God. And it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isn't that the search we're on? Search for peace, our souls. I mean, isn't that what we've been pursuing and running after? Isn't that what the career is about? Isn't that what the family is about? Is, is that you try to look good on the outside just so that you can somehow make yourself feel good on the inside and hoping and longing one day that you would have 
peace, and one day that the inner part of your world would be healed, and we celebrate on Easter that you no longer have to pursue or chase after those things, but you have a God who came for you, a God who died for you, and a God who came back to life that you could have new life and peace in your life. Mm. continues on to say we all like sheep have gone astray we've all done it each of us has turned to our own way and yet and yet and yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all if Jesus actually rose from the grave then today you can experience peace the depths of your soul you can experience a relationship with the God of the universe you can experience life that is truly life and stop sleepwalking and fumbling through life because on the cross God took everything we've ever done wrong and the things that have hurt us and hurt others And he put them on Jesus that we might be forgiven and free. And in the resurrection, do not miss this. See, what Christianity does not offer, what following Jesus does not offer is somehow to revamp your old life. What it offers is what God wants to offer is a trade. He wants to take your old life and give you a brand new life in return. Here's what's so powerful. With God, one move has the power to alter the outcome of your life. One bold move. One bold move has the power to alter the outcome of any situation. It's a single step of courage that can be the tipping point for bringing about extraordinary change. And by the way, You are one bold move away from a radically different life. Here's what I love about God. Here's what I love. With God. With God, it's never too late to make that bold move or take that courageous step. I think some of us sit back and look and feel like, you know what, it couldn't be me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my history. You know what, I just kind of do the church thing on Easter out of guilt. So you're talking to the wrong guy. And here's like, like, just think about Joseph here in the text. Too little, too late. And it's so true. He was silent in Jesus' life, and yet finally he stood up for him in his death. And as a result, God used that. And it's the backstory for Easter. You're one bold move away from a radically different life. And you, you do not know what hangs in the balance of that one bold move away. Let me ask you, this morning, what's your move? 
You know, as I was speaking, maybe some things came to mind. Came to mind. It's never too late for a bold move. And maybe, may, maybe you feel like, hey, there, there's a conversation I need to have with someone, and it feels like it's too late. You know what? I wasn't the dad I, I wanted to be when my kids were young, and it feels like it's too late. You know, my marriage, it just feels like it's too far down the tubes. And, you know, I've taken so many steps away from the life I long to have. You don't know how far away I am, and it's never too late. One bold move away. This morning, what is your move? For some, for some, as I was speaking, you, you're going, you, you mean I don't have to throw my brains in the trash to follow this Jesus? And your bold move is to honestly examine the historical facts surrounding the resurrection. I dare you. Double dare you. With a cherry on top. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't you? Because if it's true, This is the greatest news the planet has ever heard, that God loves you and longs to be with you, that God gave his son to take your place, that you might have life, that you have a God who's for you and not against you and goes to great lengths to express and show his love for you. And for some, your bold move this Easter Sunday, Easter 2015, is as I was speaking, something began to stir in your heart, and it wasn't good preaching. It was the Spirit of God. And where you just begin to feel this drawing of, I want to take the step, I want to take the move to invite Jesus into my life. I want a new life. I'm tired of striving after and doing it my own way. And I want to give you that opportunity, Easter Sunday, if you're here and you finally go, okay, you know what? I don't get it all. I don't know it all. I don't understand it all. But, but here's what I know. I believe that God loves me. And I believe that, that Jesus died for me. And what... And billions of people are celebrating on this day is true that he's alive and because he's alive I can have new life and so if you're in that place and you want to take that bold move would you just simply pray with me and it's nothing powerful or even profound but it's about a prayer it's just, it's just an honest confession to God of your heart and you can just pray after me or you could have your own conversation Dear Jesus, I'm tired of trying to do it my own way. I long for peace in my soul. I believe Jesus died for me, for all the things that I've done. Would you come into my life and forgive me and make me clean? I believe you are God and you came back to life. Will you come and be the Lord of my life? I give you my old life. Would you give me a new life in return?